Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Matthew chapter 25. And the same issue that we've been referring to regarding the timing of the rapture is really a question in interpreting this chapter, Matthew 25. It shares essentially three parables that sound very much like the one that we just left off in, in Matthew 24, 42, where it said, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert. It would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think that he will. Now, regarding the pre-tribulation rapture, uh, those who hold to that believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, and indeed, it will be a surprise. In fact, there does not have to even be warnings as to when that rapture would take place. So it's as though the church needs to be ready right now in faith and, and that our faith would not just be lip service, but that it'd be very evident that we are the people of God, not only by our faith, but how we live our lives. Now, there is some evidence that even at the end of the tribulation, that Jesus is going to come back for his final judgment at that time, and even then it will be somewhat of a surprise. That is men mentioned towards the end of the book of Revelation. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? Like, for a pre-tribulation rapture, if we were to view these passages from that lens, you, you would see that, man, it, it's going to be really unexpected when that rapture would take place. Now, at the end of the tribulation, so many people will have lost their lives the Antichrist will be ruling and reigning. Jesus will come back and there will be a final battle, the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to be a very wicked and very uh, war. And I would think, let's say we somehow were there for that. We'd be desperate for Jesus to come. We'd be desperate for that tribulation to end and be like, oh, come now. And, and make an end to this, um, I think we would have so many of our loved ones and those around us who have lost their lives that we would that we would be desperate. It would be, uh, imagine being in the middle of war, in the middle of just horrific time, and just wanting that time to end. I think if you were faithful people in that time and you were still alive, you hadn't lost your life, that you'd be looking and desiring and wanting Jesus to come back in, in, a, in a very desperate way. In these parables in Matthew 25, it, it doesn't really indicate it like that. It, it seems as though it's more of like you're going along with your life and business as usual, and then there's a surprise return of Jesus, and, and a lot of people weren't ready. It's though they weren't they weren't ready for his return, um, so in some ways I would say you know what these parables could be either one. Um, in Jesus sharing about the future and preparing us for the future, he may be just sharing, hey, no matter whether you get raptured at the beginning of the tribulation or whether I come back at the end of the tribulation, either way I want you to be faithful to the end, and either way you need to be ready. Um, and you can decide what you feel these fit into better. But, you know, 
even if we were raptured at the beginning, which I surely do hope, we're going to return with Jesus at the end for the final judgment. So either way, we're going to be we're going to be there at the end. It's just whether we're going to be up in heaven uh, waiting for Jesus to bring us back with him for that final return or whether we, if we made it alive, would be uh, enduring the tribulation and desperately waiting his return. So let's go ahead and take in the passage now, uh, Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will be not enough for you and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. You know, and even Jesus said he didn't know the day or the hour. And we're supposed to be waiting eagerly for his return. Another parable on a similar line. For it is just like the man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, I interpret this to be Jesus, and he's entrusting us to serve his kingdom while he's away. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, we don't all have the same ability. We don't all have the same talent. And whether we've given much or given little, we just be faithful for what God has given us. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, so here's Jesus' return, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put money in the bank, 
and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, what a parable. Now, you may know that at Crossing Community Church, our mission is to equip believers to be fruitful. And we believe it, it it's important that we live for the Lord. And the fact that a truly saved person born again will live to bear fruit. And, you know, as I've often mentioned, sometimes um, those who focus on Calvinism, election, predestination, will focus on, well, it doesn't matter what you do or how you live, but how you believe and as long as you believe, and you were elected before the beginning of time, by the way, and there's scriptures to back all this stuff up, that no matter what, you're going to go to heaven. And it's as though you know, you're saved by faith, not by works, right? And, and, and we believe all that, but yet there's so many passages that talk about, but God prepared works for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And uh, a tree will be known by its fruit. And uh, 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 he who remains in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So like they're, they're supposed to be in Christianity. When you become a born again believer, you're supposed to live for the Lord. And there should be very strong evidence of that. It shouldn't be like, Oh gosh, I I don't know. I, I really haven't seen fruit of this person's life that they believe. Like literally you're not supposed to be able to put God in you and then have there be no produce as a result of the fact that you've been forgiven of your sin and been born again and been given the power of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. So yes, we would say you're not saved by your works or your fruit, but yet those who are truly saved have works and fruit. So uh, it's really important that we live for the Lord and that that we've lived to 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 please Him, to honor Him, and, and to to serve His kingdom. And these parables would strongly suggest that very concept. And I, I believe in it, and I believe it's something that the church needs to know. Yeah, I don't think God ever wanted to make Christianity this shallow, mere, uh, yeah, I believe, but like there's no life change. You know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So um, we definitely should be seeking to live for the Lord, and, and these parables indicate that. But when the Son of Man comes, verse 31, in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, I do believe that this parable is referring to the second coming of Christ. The question is, is are you there because you made it through the tribulation? Or are you there because you already have been raptured into heaven? And now you're coming back with him for this final ceremonial judgment at the end of the tribulation time and before the millennial kingdom. Um, you know, I believe the latter, what I just mentioned. But either way, we're going to be there if we if we were faithful to the Lord. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. We believe this is the millennial kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it for me. What a word. That when we serve our fellow man and when we help others in this life, we're doing it for them, but we're doing it for the glory of God. And it's as though we've actually done it for God. I believe, man, I really believe this stuff needs to be known and talked about. And I think so many times it's not because people are like, ah, this might mix up the gospel. We're going to think it's all based on our works versus based on our faith. But true faith works. You know, I've given a, a you know, a youth retreat one time, and it, and it was called Faith Works. Faith works. Well, faith works, right? I mean, like faith gets you into heaven. It works having faith. It's a, it's a blessing having faith, and it is what helps us to receive eternal life. Faith works. It works. It works in life too, right? It, it, it makes our lives better when we're people of faith. But the other thing, so that's one aspect of faith works. It works. It works having faith in Jesus. Life works better. But the other aspect is faith works, meaning when you have faith, it, it, it goes to work. It does something. It serves God. It lives to bear fruit. It lives to, to do something for the glory of God. Uh, a faith, our faith motivates us to be people of works. Christians should have the, the greatest works of all because God is helping us to, to perform these works. So faith works in more than one way. Verse 30, 41, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Oh, dear church, do I really feel like these need to be talked about and known? And this is why at our church, our mission is to equip believers to be fruitful because we take in the whole counsel of God. We don't get so stuck on a doctrine that we don't talk about the whole counsel and the fact that God wants us to live for him, to serve him. And and I, I feel like by sometimes the church of God not emphasizing these passages, we 
are lazy and we can be like, well, I believe. What do you want from me? You know, like, I believe. Yeah, I believe. I mean, I'm going to heaven. I've been promised heaven. I believe. What do you want from me? As though we don't really need to live for the Lord or be motivated to serve him. And we, I think, I think that kind of a faith that omits these scriptures or doesn't focus on them, it, it leaves us devoid of living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I think that's a, a, a shame. It shouldn't be that way. These parables and so much else of the Bible, the whole thing needs to be told. We're saved by faith. But yes, when we're saved by faith, God comes and lives inside of us. And for those that's true, there is a, a call, a command, and a motivation uh, and an inspiration to live for the Lord. And He will help us to be fruitful. And it helps us to take in the whole counsel of God. Uh, we will be, we'll be better Christians as a result of it. And uh, there will be more reward in heaven as well. Well, there you have it. Um, some very challenging passages to rightly interpret. And again, you know, on this side of end times events, we do the best we can. I think we're going to see it all more clearly after it happens. But why not stay in faith in Jesus and live to serve him and keep looking for his return? That's the message that Jesus, our Lord, has given us. God bless you all.